Hi, you're watching a special edition of Open Bar uh, here at Tequila Aficionado Media, all of our platforms. I'm Mike Morales here in San Antonio, and today I I wanted to, I, you know, you folks uh, uh, who are following us know that we have several tequila jockeys throughout the U.S. and one in the U.K., but not everybody gets to know who these guys are, okay? So um, tonight I, I'm going to be speaking with Eric Zandona, who was kind of missing a little bit last year because... Eric, you spent you spent time in Oaxaca, right? Right. Yeah, you, I did. What what were you doing specifically? Just just on a sabbatical, or was this a research thing for you, or what? Uh, yeah. So I'm sort of calling it a uh, a year long residency in Oaxaca, studying Mexican spirits. Um, that's the fun way to talk about it. Okay. Uh, you know, my family and I we needed a sort of a change of pace. We were from San Francisco. Two kids, young kids, in a you know small apartment. We needed something changed, and um, Oaxaca seemed like a great opportunity. So we just decided to move and leave the country. <laughs> hey, why not? Yeah, uh, I, you could have picked anywhere to live. You could have gone to France. You could have gone right. to Belgium. You could have, you know, what was it? Had you always had that? Was that always on your like agenda? So. Uh, from the time my wife and I got married, we had we had talked about wanting to live in Mexico at some point. Oh, okay. Um, and then we, you know, life got life happened. We started having kids and kind of forgot about it. And then we just kind of came to this breaking point where we're like, well, we need to move. We don't know where. And we're thinking we're looking through some options, and then the idea kind of reemerged, like Mexico. So then we thought for a little bit, okay, like, well, where? My preference would be somewhere where they're making spirits. So we thought about maybe Guadalajara, but when we looked at that, it's like it's a really big city. And we're like, eh, I don't know. And then somebody suggested Oaxaca, and I was like, yeah, yeah, that sounds right. Let's do Oaxaca. And it was great. There were, I mean, obviously it's Mexico, so there were some challenges like, our first uh, couple of months there, there was three weeks where there was a trash strike where our <laughs> trash was <get> collected. <laughs> oh, <That> was... God. <laughs> um, but, you know, it was a really, really great experience overall. So half the time we were out in a little Pueblo outside Oaxaca City, and then the other half we were in Oaxaca City itself. Two very different experiences but both really, really good. And then I was able to go out and see a bunch of different palenques, and I got to uh, uh, taste and host a, um, a uh, event for Mexican gin, the world's largest tasting of Mexican gin. Really? Uh, did, you was... try, did you try the Omilicon brand? Yes. Were they there? Isn't yeah, that they... an amazing spirit? Yeah, so is that the... The gin from Gracias a Dios yes. and a bunch of others, and there's uh, there's about a dozen or more gins being made in Mexico now. Um, really interesting stuff. So um, fits right into what's going on in the gin world in terms of this explosion we're seeing, and um, so that was fun. And then I got to uh, travel out to the northern section of Oaxaca and visit the um, Palenque where they make uh, Paranubes rum. Oh, that 
that's right. That's another. That's yeah. another fantastic. I heard good things about it. I've I've not been able to taste it, but yeah. my folks, my folks were from Central America, so mm -hmm. I grew up with bottles of Flor de Caña in the yeah. house. That was this was before, of course, it became hugely commercial. So yeah. the only way you could get it was when a relative would show up. You know, once right. every five, ten years, they would come visit, and in those days, of course, you could carry bottles of of alcohol, right. and 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 we would only get the you know all there was was the 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 unaged Blanco at the time. Mm -hmm. And I remember how, you know, I still have fond memories of Flor de Caña, even, even now that it's, you get a 25 year old and a 10 year old and a 15 year old. So, um, I, one day I'll have Paranubes. I think, what, what did you, what did you find from that? Is it similar to what you find rums in the, in the tropics of the Caribbean or is it completely well, different? So it's very different. It's more similar to, say a Martinique style rum because they're using fresh sugarcane juice. Um, oh, okay. Whereas like Flor de Caña and you know, some of those others, they're either using molasses or some sort of like a sugar syrup right. that it's like the, a slight reduction of the juice. Mm -hmm. uh, I know some of them use that. And uh, so it's different. It's got a very different flavor profile because the fresh juice is being fermented. And it's, it's an amazing place. It's, you know, in this, you know, valley in, you know, I, you know, the easiest way is to describe it as the middle of nowhere Oaxaca, but it, <laughs> it's a, it was a magical sort of trip because like this guy was completely unknown a couple of years ago. Yeah. He and his family have been making this amazing product for like 70 years in this one valley in Oaxaca. And now his stuff is on a world stage and it's fantastic. So I'm really like happy for them. They just installed their second still. Uh, so they're running, yeah, so they're running two stills now. So they've doubled their production. Um, and it's just really great stuff. So is, is this the type of, of rum that they consider rum agricole? Yeah, yeah. Okay. So it would be like that. They don't call it rum agricole, but that that's essentially okay. Yeah, how you would describe it. It is um, the really fantastic thing about it is when you you taste the rum. When I was there, I also got to chew on some sugar cane because right. there's sugar you know, all all around the distillery, and uh, the the spirit tastes almost identical to like raw sugar cane. Wow. It's really fantastic it's just it retains all that sort of complex character of the flavor that you get out of the sugar cane um i think it's i just think it's fantastic so let, um, let me let me back up a little bit and and I, you folks who are watching have probably noticed that that eric gets really in, you know precise and gets into the flavor yeah. profiles probably more so than myself and alex uh or more in depth and there's a reason for that because Eric, you're the, you're a member or or the one of the founding members of, of the American Distilling Institute. Right? So yeah, so I work for a company called the American Distilling Institute, which was founded by a man named Bill Owens. Uh, he was a uh, he's a well-known photographer, uh, and he. Uh, was one of the first uh, licensed uh, California brew pubs uh, in the back in the 1980s. Wow! He founded uh, Buffalo Bills Brewery and Bison Brewery in the Bay Area in California, and then um, 
in the early 2000s, he traveled the U.S. and saw that there were all these little distilleries starting to pop up, and they didn't really have any way to communicate with each other or share resources. And so he created ADI as a, a, a way to sort of bring these distillers together and share information and and uh, and promote you know the the sort of category that was growing of craft spirits. And so I uh, I started working for them uh, back in 2011 2012, and uh, my responsibilities have grown with them over time. And now uh, my title is Director of Spirits Information, and I am responsible for running uh, their competition. They have an annual spirits competition for craft spirits, and then I also write about alcohol for their magazine, uh, Distiller Magazine, mm -hmm. and I manage some of their online uh, uh, properties as well. So they have a forum and they have uh, a certification that I manage, and so um, so I do those things for them. What, what um, uh, I, I know that you and I, we strictly taste uh, agave spirits. Mm -hmm. and what do you... Um, do you gotta like change gears when when you, um, you know, because in the United States, of course, the, 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 you can um, sample all kinds of spirits, at, but not necessarily agave spirits because there's a not not a whole lot of either demand or it's very difficult to get, you know, uh, because you can only make uh, tequila in Mexico, so it's very hard to get, you know, um, uh, plants or or sap or try to get the same type of um, process in the U.S. So your experience is primarily whatever is available to make here in the U.S. I would say it's whiskeys and bourbons and, 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 and rums and probably wines too, I would, I would imagine, right? Do you, do, any, any, do you taste any wines? Yeah, I do. Wine and beer are more of a recreation uh, than sort of, you know, what I do for work. Those are things that are fun that I enjoy. I also like spirits a lot, but it's also become what I do for work. So, so what, um, are, the, what are the challenges? Do you, do you find yourself when you do a God of spirits that you've got to switch gears or, or think in, a, in, a, in another direction because of the, because of the flavor profiles being so distinct? Uh, I don't say that necessarily that I have to switch gears, but for me, like, you know, when I started, drinking spirits my this is just sort of my personality the first thing i thought of when i found something i really liked was how did they get it to taste like that like what did they do that made that thing in the glass taste that way mm -hmm. and so that's always sort of my base sort of frame of reference so like what did they do well so if it's a blanco tequila was it roasted or was it baked in a brick oven was it cooked in a uh, autoclave was it you know processed using uh you know the fancy thing i can't remember the, the name <laughs> yeah. you know and so like how did that what kind of still did they use was it copper was it stainless steel and then the same thing for like mezcal like was it cooked in a uh, pit oven was it crushed with a tahona was you know all those sorts of things um, have an impact on the final product. So, like, I, as much as possible, try to understand the production process for spirits, and if I know 
how they're doing it, then that helps inform how, you know, what I'm sort of expecting from something and, and, you know, what to look for and all that. And literally what you're tasting. Yeah. And then part of it's just drinking a lot of stuff, you know, <laughs> trying different things, you know. Um, so right around the time that my family and I moved to Oaxaca, I got a, uh, I got commissioned to write a book about bourbon. And so in a couple of month period, I tasted 110 different bourbons. Wow. And wrote and, notes. And, you know, bourbons are really dry. Doesn't that, the, the, you have to space yourself out, right? Like yeah. probably no more than 10 at a time, if that. Yeah, I was doing about 10 a day. Yeah, for That's a while. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, because yeah, the, especially if the ABVs get really high and some of them can be very woody and so that's drying on your palate. And so, you know, and then of course, like I'm spitting everything out when I'm doing a big tasting like that, right, me too. Uh, because otherwise you're just going to get Blitzed. silly. You know? yeah. yeah. Do you, but, do you, do you take us, do you do, when you do your tastings, do you use a specific time of day? I prefer to do like mid morning for tastings, like when I'm doing, um, when I'm doing tastings for work, uh, that's my preference. So like nine, ten o'clock in that range, okay. um, and that is, uh, I mean, really like if you talk to master blenders in France and other parts of the world, uh, you know, people from Kentucky. You know, that's usually when they're all doing their tastings is in that sort of morning period mm -hmm. uh, because your palate is still fresh. You know, you've had maybe one meal, maybe not, depending on, you know, what you do, what your preference is. Um, and uh, and so you're able to get as much as you can. You know, mm -hmm. you've woken up, you've showered, you're, you know, you're sort of you're awake mentally and physically. And so that's sort of like for work purposes, that's sort of the ideal time for me to do tastings. So like when I was doing all those bourbons, uh, there were a couple of um, bars in San Francisco that were kind enough to let me come in and taste a bunch of samples, you know, taking like quarter ounce pours of mm -hmm. stuff to get a sense of what's going on. And, um, and so I would go in around those times. And then the bars closed most of the time. Anyway, so it's easy. They're just, you know, prepping for the day. Yeah, well, a lot of them probably knew you anyway. So, you know, yeah. hey, can I sneak a taste of, you know, 10 of your best bourbons or whatever, you know, however you, you approach them for it, you know. Yeah, well, one of the owners, he, he told me, he's like, or he's the bar manager. He was like, I knew you were serious because the list that you gave me included a bunch of, like, inexpensive stuff. And it wasn't just all our, like, rarest things. Yeah. And I was like... Well, that's because I wanted it, you know, for the book. And so, <laughs> it's not, it's not all about Pappy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And that was a fun thing. Like, I think Pappy, I got to taste through the line. I think it's a well-made product. But for, like, my personal taste, I don't ever have to buy a bottle because it's just not what appeals to my palate. Though I think it's a well-made thing that lots of people can obviously enjoy. So, um what, what, so anyway, that was that was a fun project, but you know. What's the name of the book? So that book's called the Bourbon Bible, and it was it published. Out? Yeah, it's out. It's out on Amazon and local bookstores and. The Bourbon Bible, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> yeah, and uh, so you can uh, you know you can find it online. It's you know twenty bucks on Amazon. It might be cheaper if you have Prime, 
Um, and uh, yeah, so it was real fun. It's got a little short section about the history of bourbon, how it's made, and then I had a I, I wrote a, a longer section than most other books have about how to read a label on bourbon. Oh, good. So what do all the words mean? Because some of the words have legal definitions and some of them are just marketing speak. <laughs> so, like, if well, just you, like tequila, right? <laughs> right? Exactly. So if you don't know anything about bourbon or whiskey, like, well, what's the difference between straight and small batch? Well, one is a legal definition and one's not. And so, you know, so anyway, I, I, uh, oop. No, I, I, as far as I know, I still have you. Oh, there's a poor network. Oh, we got you. And we're back. <laughs> All right. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, we'll just splice that together. Uh, yeah. So we can find your book on, on Amazon. And, yeah. And it's, it's got, Amazon. And it's got labeling information. Yeah, it's got a section about history, production, how, how bourbon's made, uh, and then, like, what what does the label, all the words on the label mean? And then uh, the big portion of the book is uh, profiles of 140 different bourbons. I did 110, and because of the the time crunch on the the, the publish publication deadline, uh -huh. I a friend of mine who's based in the UK. She's a, a whiskey uh, critic and writer, and she she was able to do 30 for me and and uh, include those in the book. and And then there's a short section about cocktails, classic cocktails for bourbon. Excellent. Uh, so anyway, it was a fun project. So now, now you 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 you're in the middle, or maybe you've already written. But while you were in Oaxaca, you were going to do a, a book on agave spirits or mezcal in general. Yeah. So uh, I, after the Bourbon Bible came out, the pub, same publisher uh, talked to me about writing a dictionary for them about tequila and agave spirits. So this publisher has a whole lineup of dictionaries. So they started with coffee. They have one about gin. They have one about, I think, whiskey and rum. And so anyway, they wanted one about tequila as well. And But then they also wanted some some mention of uh, mezcal and bacanora and ricea and some of those things as well, just kind of thrown in. So so I did that. And so it's 100 and, I don't know, it's 140 different definitions, something like that. And... Um, so talking about the whole process of production, but also the plants themselves and and all sorts of stuff. Uh, drinks, found a fascinating history about uh, the tequila sunrise. It was really fun. So, um, which was that one, there's two different drinks uh, for the tequila sunrise. They were created at two separate times, but the one we know with the orange juice and the grenadine, right was was um help was uh, popularized by the rolling stones oh so, no kidding yeah so the story is that bill graham who was a concert promoter in san francisco um threw a sort of beginning party for a stones world tour and they had it at this restaurant in northern california and the the bartenders at this restaurant made this drink for them and they really liked it 
And so the rest of their world tour, everywhere they went, they had people make for them this tequila sunrise. And um, so anyway, that was, I thought that's that was, how it got spread all over the world. Yeah. Right? And in like within basically a year, the tequila sunrise went from nothing to like one of the most popular cocktails in the 70s that people were writing songs about and all sorts of, you know. Well, it's so so it's basically the it's, it, it's again celebrity star power behind a tequila, right? Because <laughs> yeah. Jose Cuervo didn't Jose Cuervo come out or 1800 yeah. came out with a special edition of the Rolling Stones, and I think they even had a whole campaign based on 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 them being, I guess, the on the world tour with them initially, yeah. something yeah. crazy like that. Yeah, something about they they tried to capitalize on that, I think, and to promote themselves as the, the tequila you want to use for their, you know, the tequila sunrise or so anyway. It was, so it was a lot of fun. So anyway, that book's in production now. I'm done writing it, but uh, it's slated to come out in uh, April of this year. Oh, cool. Okay, well, keep us posted so that we can we'll we can direct everybody you know, all of our listeners and followers to your, your books, the, the Bourbon Bible. What's this one called again? It's just the Tequila Dictionary. Oh, tequila. So it's a, the Tequila Dictionary is kind of like, it's like the, the line, the for dummies line. It's like, <laughs> you know, because it's like, you know, uh, computers for dummies, Espanine right. for dummies. So it's like the dictionary line. So that, that makes sense. Yeah. That's cool. So real, real simple, straightforward, kind of fun. You know, it's like, it's, you know, a book like you want to read something you have five minutes you read an entry about that or you keep it in the throne room <laughs> right, exactly so, so yeah. the, the, the thing was i remember when when you were there in oaxaca you you i thought you were out of town at the time but oaxaca had some terrible earthquakes were, yeah were you affected by that at all uh no we were not so but there were two major earthquakes while we were down in oaxaca mexico city got pummeled by yeah, one of the, uh, the CRM, the Mescal Regulatory Agency, one of their labs in Mexico City was destroyed by that earthquake. Wow. And so now they're only running, well, then, I don't, I don't know if they rebuilt, but they were running off of only one lab um, in Oaxaca after that earthquake. But um, no, so when those earthquakes happened, we were in a little pueblo outside of Oaxaca City, um, called Wayapan and uh, uh, San Andreas Wayapan, and it's up in uh, it's on a mountain, and so I think because we were on Red Rock, it was we felt the shaking, but it was you know wasn't that big of a deal. Um, whereas like down in the valley in Oaxaca City and some of the other lower lying areas, there was a lot more damage. And the interesting thing about Oaxaca is like, you know, there's you know, modern construction, architecture, concrete, rebar. But then there's also still a lot of houses just made out of adobe. Um, and so, you know, a lot of those had damage because, you know, they just kind of come apart when they start to shake. Yeah, there's no reinforcement at all. Uh, so yeah. basically, but it was an old hat for you guys because you lived in San Francisco for so long, right? Yeah, yeah. So it was pretty. I mean, it was. You know, when it happens, you're all my. Your my first thought is always like, how long is it going to last, right? right. <laughs> yeah. Is it going to be short and just like not that big of a deal, or is it going to go on for a long time and be really serious? 
Um, so, but luckily they weren't that long though. They still did co cause quite a bit of damage uh, in other parts of Mexico and in, in other parts of Oaxaca. So, um, but luckily we weren't affected uh, very much by those. Yeah, the, the scary part is when you, you know, when your neighbors, because Hispanics just run out of the house. Oh my God, you know, or you're, or you're standing under a doorway or something, a door frame. But yeah, yeah I, I, I mean, that's, I remember, you know, that's my folks grew up, like I said, in Nicaragua. So they, they, that was, that was the escape route. Go out the front door or stand right. in the, in the doorway, you know, because everything yeah. else could crack and fall apart on you. Right. Um, what, um, did you get a chance to, to talk with uh, uh, Doug Stone, or uh, I'm sorry, with uh, Doug, uh, French. Doug French? Yeah, yeah. So I was able to visit him. So he's, uh, he's just like sort of on the outskirts of Oaxaca City. He's near the, he's actually really close to the airport. So if you ever go to Oaxaca, when you leave the airport and you're driving into Mexico City, you're going to go right past where he, he's at, or Mexico City, Oaxaca City. And uh, so anyway, I went out to see him, um, and uh, he's still making mezcal, though most of his production right now is focused on his whiskeys. Um, the He's doing great guns in the U.S. with that whiskey. Yeah. And he got great reviews from, yes. I think it was Whiskey Advocate, yeah. uh, like a 92. So that's great. And um, I, he's a fascinating character. He's got a real interesting project that he's doing. His whole staff is basically single women, single mothers who need jobs. And so um, he was in the textile business for a long yes. time. Now he's he doing spirits. And so a real fascinating person. And um, he's growing a lot of heirloom corn varieties. Um, it sounds like, from what he described, that he's reintroduced Oaxacan green corn to Oaxaca. And he he uh, he wrote a, a a beautiful piece for us at on Tequila Aficionado, and and um, we we worked with him closely a couple years back, and and I asked him, I said, has anybody ever published this this life story of yours? And he said, not really, you know. And so we we just did a, some editing, and it's a beautiful, you know, journey. Where yeah. you're right, he he, and that's that's how he met uh, Barbara Sweetman, his partner. They mm -hmm. both worked in the in the textile business, and you know when that industry went belly up, yeah, he, he looked to do something else. And you know, honestly, the, the he uh, and and Ron Cooper of Del McGay, the two of them really introduced the United States mm -hmm. uh, and and other countries to mezcal. Yeah. Whereas Ron Cooper went, you know, with the traditional ancestral higher ABV variety, they brought their, Doug brought his own uh, look and take uh, yeah. to Mezcal, where everything primarily, except for his Escorpion line, mm -hmm. is at a is at a 80, 80 proof, yeah, and aged in in French oak, which at that time was unheard of, yeah, and as much as Ron is 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 a trailblazer in in this part of Mezcal. Doug is also, and I think you know uh, it was nice to be able to work with him for a little bit. You know, to to get he deserved as much um, accolades for what for where he, where he had come from to what yeah. he was doing now. And now, if you follow him on Facebook, you'll see he he posts pictures every so often of his little nursery. He's 
He yeah. goes out and gathers these seeds, uh, yeah. seed pods of wild agave that, that, you know, he may never, because of his age, he may never actually see them grow to, uh, right. you know, to full maturity. But, but the whiskey part of it, we fell all over ourselves with, with his whiskey line. They were just amazing. Mm -hmm. I never had a whiskey where I could actually taste the corn. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, I think it was the one dipped in white, white wax. Yes, corn. Yeah, that one, I, that was of all the, of the three lines that we had, to me, that was my favorite because mm -hmm. I could literally taste the corn, the, you know, the yeah. corn. Because, yeah. you know, a lot of people don't even know what whiskey is made of, you know. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I think what, you know, more power to him. I don't know if you had a chance to interview him for a, 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 an article or what, but um, just, you know. Yeah, I, I got to sit down with him and taste through uh, his whiskeys and some of his, uh, his like, aged mezcals that he's got, he's holding on to. Mm -hmm. um, really interesting stuff. Um, and uh, when I have the time, I'm going to gonna write it up but it's uh i have my notes still good uh, but um yeah so i th i think he's fascinating you know being an early adopter is always challenging because uh in some ways you know, sometimes you can get an advantage and sometimes you get left behind and um i think um you know i think he's got a real fascinating story to share about about mezcal and and spirits from oaxaca i agree and, so I agree. Yeah. I think he I think he's as much a a a, a trailblazer in, in the industry as much as Ron Cooper is. As much yeah. as we give Ron, you know, his, his accolades, I think Doug deserves equally as much. It, you know, because it it's like it's like the industry. It's like the it it's like the booming agave spirits industry. There's room on the shelf for everybody. Right. You know, except for, for those of you that lie to us. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So so what was it? What was it? What was it like to live in another culture for you? Did you learn? Did you learn to speak Zapotec, or did you learn any Spanish? Or no, I didn't learn Zapotec. Uh, though my kids learned Spanish very easily while they were there. Excellent. Um, I, you know, I knew some Spanish. The one funny thing was, I quickly learned. It's impressive how little Spanish you need to know in order to live in Mexico. Um, now, if you don't speak Spanish well, like I don't, you're not going to make any very long lasting friendships with locals because <laughs> you're not communicating with them. Right. It's easy to do your day to day life. It's that's pretty easy if you know some Spanish. Um, but it was, uh, it, you know, there was it was funny. My wife and I, we had this uh, this thing we would say to each other. That some days were no Oaxaca days and some days were yes Oaxaca days because it's it's a little bit of a challenge to be there and some days you're just like mm -mm, I'm done I'm just I'm kind of over it and then <laughs> days you're like this is magical like I want to be here and so you know it's just it it kind of went back and forth and and uh, uh, but overall it was it was great the people there you know that we met were really warm and, and welcoming and. We had really fantastic neighbors in Wyopan and uh, who loved our kids to death. And, and it was great being there because we were in this little Pueblo. We got to experience like Pueblo life, you know, where it was like 
that one of their daughters had her quinceanera. The town had this huge festival for the patron saint day, and we got to participate in that. And that was really fantastic. And because uh, whereas like down in Oaxaca City, like life's a little bit easier when you're in the city because it's easier to get around and, you know, whatever. It's more cosmopolitan, right? <laughs> a little bit more cosmopolitan, but at the same time, like there's not as much of that sense. It's a city. You don't get that same sense of like everybody knows each other right. in the same way. You're not like it's you know they're little like pockets of activity. It's never like the whole town is celebrating this one thing. Come like you know 400 people are coming to my house to celebrate my daughter's quinceanera. You know. <laughs> so so uh, being in Oaxaca City is kind of like living in New York. You can go to Little Italy, Chinatown. You know. All, yeah, you, you, it's pick, kinda... you, you choose and pick where you want to go. Yeah, it's a little bit like being in the city, sort of uh, choose your own adventure, you know, you can have, you know, you can kind of craft your own sort of experience of what you want to get out of it, you know. Um, really great food, um, really good drinks, lots of really interesting craft beer in Oaxaca as well. So I've heard. Which I didn't, which I didn't know about, really tasty stuff. There's this great little uh, German bistro in Oaxaca City. Oh, well, you know, the, the Germans brought beer to, to yeah. Mexico. Gen yeah. You know, that, the whole, that was the whole thing. Yeah, so there's this, this little bistro there that um, has a lot of great craft Mexican beers and also some international stuff and really good food and, you know, and so because every once in a while, like, you know, Oaxacan food is good, but every once in a while you want to mix it up and... So you get some like German bratwurst instead, and yeah, there you go. <laughs> nice change of pace, you know, from time to time. Would you go uh, back? Would you? Would you? Would you do it again? Would, oh yeah, I mean, we would definitely go back. I don't know if we would live there long term again, um, but we I, we definitely want to go back. And you know, there's we miss. There's a big event called the Gala Getza that happens oh, yes. every summer. And we had just missed it when we moved there, and we just missed it when we left, because we left in June to come back to the U.S., and we arrived the first time in August. So we had missed it on both ends. Oh. So we, we want to go back at some point for that, because we hear it's epic. And, um, and just, just, yeah, I mean, there's so much good mezcal, and it's, it's really incredible, because... There's lots of really great stuff. You can find most of the brands that you have here in the U.S. You can see a lot of them down there. And sometimes they're a little bit cheaper and sometimes not. Um, but then, like, there's also these little, like, hole-in-the-wall places that just sell mezcal that they've bought from Palenques out in the countryside. And yeah. they're just selling it in bulk. They have glass bottles. They just pour it in, and you're good to go. That's kind of like they do it in, in tequila. <laughs> Yeah, that's what they're trying to keep from keep people from actually buying now. So yeah, you know. so anyway, I mean, and it can be really nice stuff too. So um, so yeah, it's just it was a really really good good experience to be so, there. So before I let you go, what was your biggest takeaway from from your experience in Oaxaca? Huh, that's a good question. I mean, so I mean, one there were a couple of things like. Earlier, I talked about how, I, for me, process is a big way of how I think about spirits. Mm -hmm. 
walking into most palenques, you know, it's really easy for me to identify what's going on, even though I didn't speak Spanish well. Right. I see all the accoutrements of a distillery. I kind of know what's happening. But then there are these little tweaks that are different, that were fascinating. And, um, you know, like some uh, uh, mescaleros, after they, they roast their piñas, they'll leave them out. And they'll allow, like, uh, mold spores to grow on them. And that's part of their process because what's happening is like the spores are further breaking down the fibers and the sugars and mm-hmm. before, and then they'll put it into their fermentation vats. And you distill it, like nothing toxic is going to come out really or come for, so that's not really a problem in the same way if you were just like fermenting it and trying to drink that. But it was just fascinating, little things like that and then people blending in uh, portions of heads and tails into mezcal in order to like adjust the ABV. That was really fascinating to see. Something I we almost never see in the U.S. Yeah. Um. So I mean, that was I guess the thing. It's like Oaxaca is this sort of. In some ways, it's it's completely foreign, and other other ways, it's like it's just like everywhere, right? It's people living their lives, having birthdays, having children, you know, people die, having parties and festivals and drinking and enjoying life and enjoying food. And, and, um, and so, you know, there, there are these elements that are very foreign and then also very familiar at the same time. So, um, I think that was one of the things that was really like enjoyable about Oaxaca is that it was a sort of step into this other world that, was also very familiar um, in, in a lot of ways. So, and, and it's a beautiful city, too. So it's definitely worth visiting. Yeah, it's definitely on, on our agenda. Uh, but I think before we do that, we'll probably get back to tequila because everybody always gets back to tequila. I think I've, uh, I was there, the last time I was there was maybe two and a half, three years ago. And, and, and there's something on, there's something on the, on the, there's always something on the, on the back burner that, that may come to the front burner really quickly. So, yeah. um, but anyway, Eric, thank you again for, for spending time with us. Eric Zandona, ladies and gentlemen, uh, not only of the American Distilling Institute, but also one of our favorite TJs here at Tequila Aficionado Media. You have been watching and listening and sipping probably uh, on Open Bar. This is a special edition. We're going to feature, uh, we're going to try and feature each one of our TJs so people can get to know who you guys are. Uh, you can follow Eric. Uh, he's, all, you know, all of, on his social media, Facebook and Twitter. And I think you also do uh, Instagram as well. Yeah. Um, you know, everybody follows us also. And um, don't forget his books. You have the Bourbon Bible that's available yep. now on Amazon. Go check it out. And upcoming, the Tequila Dictionary. Yeah, the te- Tequila Dictionary is available, I think, for pre-order already on Amazon. Um, but it will be coming out in April. Excellent. Excellent. Well, keep us posted. And uh, uh, like we say, uh, you know, uh, uh, on all of our shows, tomar sabiamente. Sip wisely. You are watching sipping off the cuff on uh, tequila aficionado all of our platforms i'm here in san antonio this is going to be a special uh, sipping off the cuff actually when we this will be a really brief interview with uh, one of our tasters 
Eric Zandona, who um, now Eric has got a lot of experience, not just with agave spirits, but with everything. I mean, just every every booze under the sun. And and it was he. he uh, you might remember that he had written a book called the 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 the, the tequila dictionary. It's been it's available on Amazon, <clears throat> but it's been going like crazy. And Eric, you had a chance to do a book tour while we were kind of on hiatus, not really, but still working. Yeah. But um, you got to do a book tour in the UK for the for the book, right? Right. Yeah. So so tell me, how did that go? How 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 did first of all, was this like a planned thing or did it just kind of popped up? Well, uh, you know, the drink world is, is a small place. So uh, through a person I knew in Oaxaca, I met a lady in the UK, and she knew some people, and things came together. <laughs> Isn't that how it always works? You know, yeah. just, um, It's funny because I, I just recently I had, uh, we always send out solicitation letters, and, and um, we sent one out to a, a company that is making a blue agave spirit out of Santa Cruz, California. It turns out Eric knows who they are. But unbeknownst to me, I you know, when we do these these emails, these these letters, we always have two tasters. You guys have watched Sipping Off the Cup or you've heard of us uh, on, on our podcast. And so, you know, there's always two voices. Well, it turns out that Eric knows these people, and 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 that's so he's pretty well connected. But yeah. uh, how did it go? How many how many speaking engagements did you have? Was this a whole week's worth of stuff, or what? Yeah, it was a full week. We did uh, five events in seven days. Wow! Uh, all around England. So yeah, it was really good. So it wasn't it wasn't just London. You were you were. No. Yeah. So we did. Um, Bournemouth, which is on the south coast, uh, Bristol, London, uh, Sheffield, and Nottingham. And I was, it was really interesting to see because, you know, obviously you think like, well, you know, London will have some escalerias, but, you know, who knows about the rest of the country. There's quite a, a growing agave scene in the UK. So that was, it was fun. A lot of really nice people, a lot of really passionate people about agave spirits. Um, it's still, you know, a much smaller group of people um, than compared to the U.S., you know, which makes sense. The U.S. drinks most of the agave spirits in the world after Mexico. So, um, but there's a really nice group of people out there who are really passionate about tequila and mezcal and everything else. So it's, it's fun. Now, do you find, uh, personally myself, and, and I've not been to the UK, had you, had you been to the UK prior to no, that? This is my first trip. Uh, even to Scotland, you've, you've never seen a, a Scotch uh, distillery? You probably didn't get a chance to, to, to do any sightseeing or being a tourista because it sounds like it was a whirlwind. It um, was a little I got, a, I got a, uh, a couple of days in London to just kind of see some stuff. Uh, but most of my time there, I was in the South Coast because I was uh, judging for a competition, uh, the International Wine and Spirits Competition. Um, and then I did this tour, and then I had to go home because I had been away for three weeks. Wow. My wife was home with the two little kids, and it was time to get home. Yeah, yeah. You could hear them screaming from across the pond, right? Yeah. Um, 
Well, you know, I, I've never been. I, we're hoping it's, it's, it's in our plans in the next year or two to visit the UK. We have a lot of, first of all, we have a lot of followers and listeners uh, from our, our YouTube channel and Facebook and, of course, uh, podcasting that, that are familiar with, with Tequila Aficionado. And they're familiar with you, I'm sure. But uh, it, it, it seems to me that from, the, from what I've seen and observed, um, because, you know, with keeping our, our, our nose to the grindstone and our finger on the pulse of the, of the agave spirits business. It seems to me that the UK, Europe, um, the European Union, uh, if you can still call it that, uh, <laughs> they, have a, they have an affinity and they, they understand what goes into a craft spirit versus a mass-produced spirit. I, I think, uh, I always like to say that, that the, the people in the UK get it the Italians get it, the French get it. I, yeah. you know, just just from watching the 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 industry as I have in in twenty years, and you have too, probably a lot longer. You see where everybody positions themselves in in the um, in in the in the spirits framework. But you you know when when I see companies uh, you know buying, for instance, Montelobos. Or or Campari when 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 they've got Espolón and 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 now they're they're delving into mezcal. It seems to me that they leave well enough alone. You know they're they're not uh, versus Diageo that 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 you know they mass produce all these global brands. I, I think that the European the Europeans understand what goes into craft because they they have a much older culture. When it comes to denominations of origin and protecting, I mean, just the other day I, I read an article where the Italians seized a whole bunch of Pringles that were that were seasoned as prosecco, and 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 you know that is a that is now a protected trademark denomination of origin by the Italians. So they seized this like palette of Pringles that was prosecco, you know, flavor. And I just wish that you know other denominations of origin. Would would do stuff like that. So, did you find, getting back to my quest, my original question, did you find that the the people in the UK were were very appreciative for the information that you had and you were you were given to the? Did you see that they were, you know, that they were uh, agreeable and amenable to 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 learning more about about tequila? Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, it's been my experience there was actually not too dissimilar to some interactions that I've had here with, with fans of agave spirits or people who are just kind of trying to figure it out um, and that, you know, they're really interested. They, you know, there's something captivating about agave spirits that can really grab people in a, in a particular way. And once, they, once it's got its hooks into people, they're like, what, what is going on here? Yeah. What is this thing? And, you know, they want to learn more. I mean, it's partly the same thing with me, right? I mean, I, uh, I had some uh, tequilas, some really fantastic tequilas the first time I visited Mexico City. And I'm like, I got I to gotta understand more about this thing. You know? <laughs> um, it really so, does. I mean, there's, a, there's a good group of people there who are just really interested in learning more. There's a, there's a big um, tasting event uh, for tequila and mezcal in London uh, every year now. And, um, you know, it seems to be growing from what I hear. And, uh, yeah, I think people are really interested. So it's, it's exciting. Good. Excellent. And 
Uh, and did you sell copies? <laughs> I, I are, we, are we now the Amazon number one bestseller? By the way, um, Eric and I both write books. So, but Eric, Eric's book you can actually hold. Mine, you know, mine are, are we self-publish, so we do that on Amazon, and and you know, we don't like to carry stock because uh, right. yeah. you know fulfillment. Let Amazon do it. Yeah. Um, did you know how have sales been? Because it's been a really popular book. And, you know, every time we see, you know, we see a, an ad for it or or a tweet or something, mm -hmm. or people pick it up. You know, it's like all of a sudden they'll take a picture of it and they'll go, "What's that a dictionary?" You know, and have you seen have you seen the a growth now because of, because of the book? Have you seen you know that kind of thing? Yeah, the sales seem to be doing well. Uh, people are responding really positively to it, so that's good. Um, and this lady that I ended up working with in the UK, um, you know, their uh, liquor laws are a lot more um, open, I would say. And so she owns a import company and because of her license, she can also operate an online retail store. So she, she imports agave spirits from Mexico, and then she can sell them direct to consumers in the UK. God, I and wish we could do that here. I know. Wouldn't it be yeah. awesome? Yeah. So, and then her husband owns a bar, and so they have this, like, <laughs> energy. And wow. All the stuff that we can't do in the U.S. Right. Yeah. So, um, so she she bought the she buys the book wholesale from the publisher, and then she can resell it. And so she was she was doing selling all the copies and all that. And I I had to sign a lot, and so it was it was a lot of fun. Yeah. How, how does writer's cramp feel these days? <laughs> <laughs> Not too bad. It's been a little while, so it's good. Excellent. Well, I'm glad to hear. I'm, I'm glad that you had a, a good experience in the UK with the, the Tequila Dictionary. For those of you who uh, are watching us on our YouTube and, and Facebook and Instagram, this is what it looks like. Uh, for those of you who are listening to us on our podcast, it's just called the Tequila Dictionary, and it is by Eric Zandona. Um, Eric is also, um, uh, you do... Uh, well, the American Distilling Institute. You're, you're, you are the American Distilling Institute. Well, not quite. I mean, I'm just one of the cogs in the wheel there. So I, uh, you know, I run their competition and I, I help out with a few other things. But they, uh, that's my day job, and then I, I do a number of other things. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like go on book tours. Yeah. Uh, but one of the other things that Eric does, pro bono, by the way, is he's one of our TJs, one of our tequila jockeys, and. And Eric has just a, a, a wonderful palate that uh, shortly we're going to be tasting. Um, for those of you who have watched us before, we, we had tasted a, a spectacular Bacanora, um, uh, Santa Cuviso. We're about to taste uh, a brand new one. So stay with us here on Tequila Fishnado on uh, all of our uh, all of our wherever you stream, um, you know your your podcast. If you're watching us on on YouTube, uh, thanks for for being here with us, Eric. And uh, whatever you do, tomar sabiamente. Step wisely. <laughs>